about cultivating a winsome Christian witness with clarity, creativity, and kindness. by the Center for Worldview and Culture at Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri. You can learn more about Southwest Baptist University by visiting sbuniv.edu. And here's your host, Daniel DeWitt. I mean, we're just together, partly because I saw you last week and also because this is our third attempt at starting this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You know what they say. Third time's a charm. That's right. That's right. They also say, you know, <laughs> le- learn how to use the equipment before you, you start actually recording things. Anyway. For starters, that was Sam Alberry. He's a good friend, if not a bit of a menacing nemesis at times. My name is Daniel DeWitt. I'm the director of the Center for Worldview and Culture at Southwest Baptist University, SBU. There are a lot of things about Sam I'm thankful for. A lot of things. I can't say I'm thankful for everything. He likes to point out every typo I put on Twitter. He exploits every silly social misstep I ever take in his presence. But I do love that guy. Sam is an award-winning author and an internationally sought-after speaker. And I'm thankful he took time out of his schedule to join me for the first episode of Mere Caffeination. Each episode of Mere Caffeination will consist of half interview and half commentary on C.S. Lewis. The interviews will focus on how we can cultivate a winsome Christian witness with clarity, creativity, and kindness. I'm looking forward to digging into all those categories with guests like Sam this season. The second half of each episode will consist of an adventure in the writings of the Inklings, like C.S. Lewis and Friends. This season will focus on C.S. Lewis's wildly popular and widely influential book, The Screwtape Letters. Let me start out by saying a bit more about Sam. Sam is a Brit who grew up with a love for America. I'm a Yankee who grew up with a love for England. We're opposites in a lot of ways like that, but I count him as one of my nearest and dearest friends, even if he does occasionally, well, make fun of me. What else are friends for? Sam published a book 10 years ago that launched him onto an international platform. Is God Anti-Gay was a book Sam was never supposed to write. It's a long story, but as fate would have it, another author didn't quite work out for the publisher. So Sam stepped in. He shared his story of same-sex attraction and his journey of seeking to be faithful to Jesus in all things. It turned out it was the kind of authenticity we were all longing for. The book has now sold over 200,000 copies. Sam is moving to America. Rumor has it, at present, he's living in Nashville, Tennessee. Why? Is Sam trying to break into country music? Has he joined a Southern Gospel Quartet? Why is Sam Alberry in Nash Vegas? I asked him. Well, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of, of uh, joining the staff at Emmanuel Nashville, which is a church here in, in Nashville. Um, I say in the process of because I'm, I'm waiting for a visa to come through. So I'm, I'm just here. I'm in and out in the meantime. Um, so, yeah, hoping to move here early next year and be here full time. The truth is, Sam is in Nashville, Tennessee, because he loves the church. In this case, I'm not talking about the church in general, what Christians sometimes call the universal church. I'm talking about a very specific church, what Christians refer to as a local church. In this next clip, Sam describes the church that was so welcoming, so spirit-filled, so much of a home for him that he felt compelled to get a visa. Um, So I first first came to this church in 2018 and kind of had a crush on it ever since. Um, There there are three things that I I see at Emmanuel that I don't always see together in other churches. There's theological care and and accuracy. There's a sense of spiritual reality, of of God being real and, and really with us. And there's a sense of kind of emotional intelligence and I've been to lots of churches where there's one or two of those three things, but I've, I've, it's unusual to find all three. And uh, it's a church that's very honest. People are quick to, to confess sins and to be honest about where they're at. And it's a church that really tries to, to make grace feel real. Mm. So it's a joy to be there. I love being there. Sam admitted to liking Huey Lewis and the news of Back to the Future. But I wondered if there was any music that affected him on a deeper level. Is there any music that brings tears to his eyes? Yes. um, It's a a piece of music, Elgar's Enigma Variations. Um, One of those is called Nimrod. It's a a well-known piece. Um, It always makes me choke up. Um, There's so much kind of yearning behind it. Um, It was actually used to to very good effect in the Dunkirk movie. Um, Hans Zimmer kind of did his version of it, um, which was just wonderful as well. But that, that piece always, always chokes me up. We all know what it feels like to get a twinge of anxiety walking into church. Is there a kind of church community that allows us to be, well, us, while recognizing us, we, might need to change, to be ourselves with the recognition that we haven't arrived? In other words, to be able to show up and still be individuals even as we long to belong to a group. Is there such a thing as an authentic Christian community where we're not just showing up to impress God and mark something off a to-do list, or worse, where we're trying to impress each other? A place where we can find hope and help. Yeah, Ray Ray often says, when you go to church, you can either be impressive or you can be known but you can't be both Hmm. so choose choose which is your is your focus and priority and if you go for for being impressive then that 
starts an arms race where everyone else then has to feel like they've got to be impressive and then no one is ever honest about their sin. And the gospel becomes a wonderful theory that no one actually practices. Whereas if you go to church thinking, I don't mind being known. If someone asks me how I'm doing, I don't just have to say I'm doing great or even that I'm doing fine. I can say, I'm okay, but there's some stuff that's I'm, I'm wrestling with this week or, you know... So it's it's been very refreshing to be at a church where from from the, the pastor and the elders through um, people are quick to confess their sins to one another, which is what we're told to do in James 5. So it's, it's going to be for our health to do that. You might have picked up on the inspiration of C.S. Lewis on this podcast. It's not very subtle, is it? I asked Sam if he had a favorite Lewis book or even a favorite particular passage from a writing by C.S. Lewis. He he is, without a shadow of a doubt, my favorite author. Um, And I became a Christian in August 1993. And it was probably four or five months after then that I I started to to read some Christian books. And one of the very first books I ever read as a Christian was The Screwtape Letters Um, because someone had told me to read it. There there was Screwtape, then that was shortly followed by Mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. So Screwtape is is one of the first Christian books I ever read, and I've read it, I think, three times. Um, I should probably read that again. so that, that is a book that is dear to my heart. And one of the things I love about that book is, and with all of his writings, he knows my heart. He really gets how my heart works. Um, both in terms of the screw tape letters, he, he understands how my sinful nature works. But just more broadly, he understands, he understands the, the sort of fears, the vulnerabilities, and so on. Um, in terms of favourite Lewis passages, um, the final paragraph, I think, of his book, Miracles, um, that there may be an afterword or a, an appendix or something, but I think the last paragraph of the main body of the book, he's talking about the resurrection to come, and he, he has this passage where he, he talks about the, the body we now have is not something we just have to tolerate and then we'll be free of bodies and living as spirits. He says, we tolerate this body like a young man tolerates riding a pony because it's preparation for the fact that one day he's going to ride a, a horse. And Lewis is saying that there, even now there are a winged horses waiting for us in the stables of, of heaven, snorting impatiently because they're longing for the rider to come. And he says, and I'm not doing this justice whatsoever, obviously, but it's just a wonderful passage that just gets you excited for the resurrection body and how the bodily life we live now is is the kind of the training, it's like the, the, the training tricycle for, for riding a really good bike. Um, so that that's a passage that always it just he's making he's making a theological point, but he's making it in such a a way that really appeals to the imagination and just kind of yeah, he's not just teaching the truth, he's treating he's te- he's teaching you the beauty of the truth that he's pointing to. I was going to say, I think my favourite Lewis book is probably Peralandra. 
the, the second of this the, the science fiction trilogy that he wrote. Um, there's some just wonderful moments in that book. C.S. Lewis had the incredible ability to see deeply into the human condition and offer us words to explain our experiences. And as a Christian, he had a way of not only seeing truth or doctrine, but seeing through it to see all of life from this uniquely Christian perspective. He did, and I've been reading through his letters recently, which is, I don't know why I haven't done this before, it's like hanging out with him, because he's just chatting away about the weather and what trees are in, in leaf at the moment and what's going on with the, the government at that time. And But he'll just drop in these little Christian insights along the way, and you realise what he's giving you in his books is just what he was doing all the time anyway. It's just that some, some of the times it was... He would dump it in a, in a letter. Sometimes he would he would dump it in a book. But it, it's the same mind at work, just seeing all of reality through through Christian spectacles. Um, so it really is wonderful. And you, you're seeing his you're seeing more of the process in his letters. Um, he's showing you his working. He's showing you his his thought process. Um, and it's it's hugely edifying. It's very insightful. It's also just good fun as well. Um, it's fun hanging out with him. He was obviously, a, I want to say, ebullient. Is that a right? Is that a word? Um, it is now. Just kind of, yeah, he just seemed sort of so, somewhat irrepressible. I'm sure he had his, his low moments, but you got the sense that he was, that joy for him wasn't just something he felt when he felt it. It was a, it was a mindset, a determination um, to see the, the, the joy of the Lord in, in all things. Um, so yeah a, a great man to spend time with C.S. Lewis made the Christian truth not only feel incorporeal pertaining to those immaterial realities but also corporeal related to the stuff we can touch and see and feel, the grass, the sand, even our very bodies. Sam's thought a lot about that topic. What does it mean to be embodied? How should we think about our bodies? There's a lot of shame for a lot of us when we think about that question. Our bodies aren't quite how we would like them to be. To quote an old song, I wish I were a little bit taller, I wish I were a, a baller, we would all change things about ourselves. Some people even feel like they're trapped in the wrong body. What's a Christian response? Yeah, the, the big idea of the book is that the gospel is good news for our bodies. Um, we, we tend to think the gospel is good news for our souls, that we were gonna, our soul will go off for eternity to be with God. But the, the gospel is good news for our bodies. Um, Paul talks about how our, we, we're still awaiting in Romans 8, the redemption of our bodies. So there is a, there is a bodily future God has for us in eternity. Um, and Lewis was so strong on that as well. He talks in Mere Christianity at a couple of places about how um, and I'm, again, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but how kind of weird and dorky 
the, the biblical Judeo-Christian worldview is because it has a place for the body. Um, that the creation is seen as good. Um, that, that Christ Himself took on flesh. How um, how unusual that was in the ancient world in, in any kind of ancient belief. There was no precedent for that. And then obviously the resurrection of, of Christ and in Christ the resurrection of the rest of us. Um, so he, he's, he's good at showing the, how unusual it is for, for a, a belief to be, I guess, body positive, to use, to use our language. Um, so I do quote him a few times. In fact, I, I, I think I closed the book with that quote from Miracles, just because that there's no better bow you can put on the end of a book than that, than that paragraph. Um, so I, I, I have a few um, references to him through that, but it, it's really just trying to show that the, the significance of, of the creation, the fall of redemption and new creation for how we think about our embodiedness, um, the, the kind of unique foundational essential insights each of those parts of the Bible storyline gives us to our understanding of ourselves and our, our current experience. And it, it seems to me that even some of the very basic things that the Bible says about our bodies, about how we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, have sort of been left on the shelf for so many years. We've either assumed them or ignored them, but we live in a, a cultural moment where actually those truths are so relevant and so so vital to what we're dealing with today um so i'll often do talks on what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made for example and people people don't know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and and david is saying that in psalm 139 of his fallen body it's not like he's saying it's not like it's a, a pre-fall person saying that so just just showing the significance of that in a in a culture that is very anxious that is very self-loathing where there is huge body shame, body anxiety, and so on. Um, we, we need a healthy doctrine of creation. And so I find that there's a, there's a huge amount of attraction with that kind of, of teaching. Um, similarly, with, with the New Testament focus on our, our bodies now belonging to Jesus and what that means um, and how he is, he is a better master to our, our bodies than, than anybody else will be and how if, if our bodies belong to him, then... He's the only person our bodies need to be pleasing to. Um, and the body that is pleasing to him is a body that is, is offered to him. So there's lots of things there that we've, we've lost sight of. I think it's certainly Western evangelicalism. Um, we've, we've downplayed, we've, we've overlooked. And yet, which are just such good news and stabilizing and hope-giving things for us to think about. Speaking of bodies, in C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, the senior demon, Screwtape, wants to feed on humans who refuse to give themselves over to God. Why would C.S. Lewis, this public intellectual, come up with such an odd story? It all began with a talk he listened to on the radio. It was a hot, dry summer in 1940 in Oxford, England. That ended in July when the heavens opened up with deluge rainfalls. It was a windy, rainy day when Lewis began a letter to his brother Warren, 
whom he called Warning. On a Friday evening in July of 1940, C.S. Lewis, the man who would take to speaking over the radio in the very near future, turned on his own radio and tuned in to listen to an influential political speech. History was being made in more ways than one. In looking back upon the last 10 months, we're all struck by the grace of providence that has allowed us to succeed in our great work, the speaker's voice proclaimed through the crackly speakers. Providence has placed our great resolves and guided us in our difficult matters. As for myself, I am deeply moved, realizing that providence has called on me to restore to my people their freedom and honor. Lewis admitted to being affected by the rhetoric. I don't know if I'm weaker than other people, Lewis said, but it is a positive revelation to me how while the speech lasts, it's impossible not to waver just a little. Lewis examined his feelings, listening to what would be Hitler's last appeal to Britain to remove themselves from the war. Hitler was threatening to unleash hell. Within a couple months, it would be far more than rain falling from the English sky. In his speech, Hitler claimed to be the voice of reason itself, pleading for common sense. It was Winston Churchill who was evil and illogical, Hitler claimed. Hitler referenced the British prime minister no less than 14 times in his address. Statements which I know to be untrue all but convince me, Lewis explained. At any rate, for the moment, if only the man says them unflinchingly. And just like that, screw tape was born. Well, to be fair, Lewis first had to endure a rather boring sermon. Blanchett preached not very profitably, Lewis wrote to his brother. Apparently, Blanchett was the minister. Lewis didn't find his sermon profitable. These two events, the Friday evening radio speech and the Sunday sermon, are mentioned in the same letter to Warney Lewis, dated July 21, 1940. In Lewis scholarship, there's a bit of debate over what inspired Lewis's demonic invention. In his letter to his brother, Lewis mentions both. I think it was a one-two punch. With thoughts of Hitler's temptations converging with mental ruminations during an unprofitable sermon, Lewis thought up a dastardly plan to expose evil. Lewis wrote, Before the service was over, one could wish these things came more seasonably. I was struck by an idea for a book which I think might be both useful and entertaining. It would be called As One Devil to Another and would consist of letters from an elderly, retired devil to a young devil who's just started work on his first patient. The idea would be to give all the psychology of temptation from the other point of view. Anyone who's been to church regularly knows what it's like to have your mind wander during a sermon. But for most of us, that will never translate into a best-selling book. Perhaps the sermon was more profitable than Lewis realized. 
Of course, C.S. Lewis would give away the lion's share of his royalties throughout his lifetime. It was a different kind of prophet that would come about from this dry sermon and this speech from Adolf Hitler. During the sermon, Lewis did more than just daydream. He had already thought up lines that would make it into the book that would be known to the world as the Screwtape Letters. Listen to what he wrote to his brother Warney after the service was over. These are the very first lines that we get from C.S. Lewis from Screwtape, the senior demon, to his nephew, Wormwood. This is directly from the letter Lewis wrote his brother. After undermining his faith in prayer, Lewis writes, again, it's the demon speaking that Lewis is creating this character. After undermining his faith in prayer, I don't think you need to have any difficulty with his intellect, provided you never say the wrong thing at the wrong moment. After all, the enemy will either answer his prayers or not. If he does not, then that's simple. It shows prayers are no good. If he does, I've always found that oddly enough, this can be just as easily utilized. It needs only a word from you to make him believe that the very fact of feeling more patient after he's prayed for patience will be taken as a proof that prayer is a kind of self-hypnosis. Or if it is answered by some external event, then since that event will have causes which you can point to, he can be persuaded that it would have happened anyway. You see the idea? Prayer can always be discredited, either because it works or because it doesn't. These ideas make their way into letter 27 of the Screwtape letters. There's a total of 31. In many ways, it's like the book of Proverbs, which is broken into 31 chapters, entirely about how a young man can navigate life's challenges and choose wisdom over folly and temptation. Within 10 months, Lewis was publishing these 31 letters with The Guardian, an Anglican periodical, not to be confused with another publication by the name The Guardian. Within a year's time, the diabolical letters would be in print and selling like hotcakes. The book went through numerous printings in its first year. C.S. Lewis dedicated the book to J.R.R. Tolkien, We'll have a lot more to say about Tolkien and his friendship with Lewis and even what Tolkien thought about this book that was dedicated in his honor. I don't remember the first time I read the Screwtape Letters. I definitely remember when I reread the book. While I was in grad school, I would often study at a coffee shop housed in a bookstore that was near our home. One day I took note of a poster in the coffee shop advertising a reading club for C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. There was nowhere to sign up. There was just a day and a time. I thought it'd be a good opportunity to read Lewis, meet some new people, and maybe have the opportunity to share about my faith. Not knowing where my paperback copy of the book was, I walked over to the Christian literature section of the bookstore and picked up a copy of the complete C.S. Lewis Signature Classics. It's a collection of Lewis's works that includes Mere Christianity, Miracles, The Great Divorce, A Grief Observed, The Problem of Pain, The Abolition of Man, and of course, Screwtape. I should add, 
It also includes a follow-up C.S. Lewis wrote much later called Screwtape Proposes a Toast. We'll cover that too before our first season is out. I reread these satirical letters with, with great delight. I came up with what seemed to me to be a very insightful way to think about the letters. I had some profound comments I wanted to share with the reading club, whomever these people were. I had a couple theories about what I thought Lewis was getting at in some of the letters that I was sure they were all going to ooh and ah over. I showed up about 15 minutes early with my complete C.S. Lewis signature classics, my handwritten notes. I ordered my coffee, I grabbed a seat in the cafe, and I waited. The advertised time came and went. I filled my time skimming through other works by Lewis in the signature series, works I hadn't read before. My awkward loneliness of being stood up for the reading club, nobody showed up, I was the only one, was overshadowed by my enchantment with this man's thoughts and words. He had me under a spell. I thought I knew C.S. Lewis before. I know I told people he was my favorite Christian author. But to be honest, I hadn't really read him very well, not very much. I hadn't read a lot of what, or most of what he had written. I like C.S. Lewis the way every seminary student likes C.S. Lewis, the way hipsters like coffee, the way Americans like cheeseburgers. It's kind of expected of us. That night I was introduced to this author in a lot of ways for the first time. I've been reading his books, his letters and books about him ever since. And though I would never claim to be a C.S. Lewis scholar, I've been given the great opportunity to teach college classes about Lewis's theology and apologetics. One time we even held our class in Oxford, England, in C.S. Lewis's very own house. A true Lewis scholar, Dr. Michael Ward, came and gave a lecture. For full disclosure, and perhaps for a little bit of advertisement, I have a book of my own coming out on C.S. Lewis in the next year or so. It's a picture book for children introducing them to the author who has impacted me in numerous ways. It's scheduled to release with B&H Kids in 2023. I'll give you some updates throughout the season. Right now I'm working with the illustrator and finalizing what ways we'll picture C.S. Lewis, the beloved author of Narnia. In this first season of Mere Caffeination, I'll guide you through the screw tape letters and mix in interesting bits and pieces of what was going on in Lewis's life and time when he wrote them. If you're brand new to the screw tape letters, I hope to give you a good overview along with some interesting facts. If you've read the screw tape letters before, I hope to refresh your memory and also maybe to introduce you to some things you didn't already know. Wherever you're at, I hope you'll join us in the journey. In our next episode, we will conclude our conversation with Sam Alberry and hear what he has to say about Christian leaders who were divisive on social media. And I can think of, of Christian leaders who should have been fired by their churches by now for how they use Twitter. Thank you for listening to this first episode of Mere Caffeination. If you'd like to learn more about Southwest Baptist University's Center for Worldview and Culture, responsible for producing this podcast, just visit sbuniv.edu slash worldview. Until next time, I hope you stay caffeinated, calm, and kind.